Hey, welcome to the Risen Nation Church podcast. We're so happy you've joined us. We at Risen Nation Church believe that we are called to prepare a place for God's presence and God's people. If you'd like more information on how to connect or volunteer or even to partner with us in this season, you can find out more information at risennation.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 8 and tonight thank you my brother I like it so much I was going to keep you there but I kind of feel bad for you well I really don't feel bad but I'm just saying that but um, can we thank God for what is for all the really the worship team has been phenomenal Um, I want to I want to quickly just because I'm not sure how much time I have well, Pastor Cox, service not till tomorrow. So we're good. I'm not going to keep you here long, but I need you to learn some things tonight. Um, and how many of you have never, and I ask this often, how many of you have never heard me teach? Have not heard me? One person, two people. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, yeah, where you guys been? Um, how many of you have heard me? So, okay, good, good. So, so I don't have to get into all the details, but, but I'm just going to say some things. And, if, if, um, and I had said to my son that, you know, you could do a way, is that what you call it? After, the way, the way. And, and um, you know, for, is it open or is it just, okay, for those of you that are members of the house, um, if you have questions after, you're going to hear what the word is tonight then we will plan something in the way and, and uh, answer questions. For those of you that are not part of this house, well, too bad for you. No, um, I'm just kidding. Hebrews uh, chapter 8. And I'm, I want you to, I'm not going to read it. I want you to just kind of follow as I give you a description because there's a particular verse I want to get to. But if you will see through verse 1 and 2, they describe that we have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is set on the right hand of majesty. I want to make it clear. It doesn't mean that there's a chair somewhere up there in the clouds and there's a big chair with a big king. What it means is that he is in the position of strength and power, the position of authority. You understand? So I want to make sure that you all are all in the same place. There is no, um, no, I'm not going to say that, okay? See, I, when I come here, I have to edit. I edit as I preach. I edit myself. But, you know, I'm not in the mood to edit. So I'm just going to go for it. Is that, is that okay? Okay. Heaven is not a location. It's a life. It's a dimension. If I was to say to you, which is more powerful or of a higher dimension, light or darkness? I'm talking in the natural. Which one? Come on, help me. Light is more of an authority over darkness. And I mean when you go to your room and you turn on the lights, I don't mean spiritually. I mean naturally speaking, right? The light comes in the morning Because it has greater authority so you can now see. Why? It's another dimension. If you consider the animal world, 
um, you know, you could have a cheetah that's very, very fast, but then a lion comes after the same prey, the cheetah will bow. You understand? You could be in the ocean and there are all the species, but if, if, um, if a whale shows up, it holds authority. Among the prey, sharks have the rule. Everything in the universe is created in a dimension. And so, for example, the stars of the night light up the night sky. The moon is the reflection of the authority of the day, which is the sun. But when the sun descends, the moon is in rule. Until the sun comes, then the moon humbles itself and bows. Everything in God's universe functions by an authority. Without authority, we have no power. Demons understand authority. When Jesus shows up, demons look for an out. Jesus never exercised exorcism. Never. You never see it in Scripture. You'll never see Jesus binding the devil. Help me. Because we add things that, you know, in traditions that don't exist in Scripture. Jesus said, when you see me by the pointing of the finger, casting out devils, then you will know that the kingdom has come. The pointing of the finger means, I'm just going to point at you. Hey! That's it. Now, when I was raised in Pentecost, we used to have deliverance ministries and wrestle demons for 45 minutes while they're spitting at you. And people that would say, we have a deliverance ministry. Have at it. Because there's really no such thing in Scripture. We've all been given the power to cast out devils. Not by wrestling them, but by commanding them. Exorcism was exercised in the Old Covenant. Jesus never went, walked into it. Why? Because demons understand authority. That's why in the book of Acts, you will see these Jews that are trying to act spiritual and the demons respond. Jesus we know. Paul we know. Who in the heck, is that bad to say? Who in the heck are you? So what you got today is, I don't mean you, just speaking generally. You got a lot of people that are doing the cloning thing, sounding a lot like others and having no power. Because the power has to come from within. And God has established authority in every dimension. From the heavens, to the earth, to the beneath the earth, within every household, there are authorities. If you don't know that's how it works, there's going to be problems. God established your physical body to function in an authority. That's why you walk on your feet and not on your behind. You think with your mind, hopefully. So, and God orchestrated it and structured it to function in an authority. The body of Christ has been assembled to function in an authority. It is, it is matted in what we're about to see. And so when we hear we have a high priest who is sat on the right hand of authority, majesty, the minister of the true sanctuary... Just follow verse 1 and verse 2. So there is a true sanctuary which the Lord pitched in heaven, not a man. 
That doesn't mean that he literally put up a tent in heaven. It means that this is the work of God. And then here's verse 5, which serves as an example. As a what? As an example, listen now, and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God, God said to him, For see, says the Lord, that you make all things. How many things? Are you all looking at your scriptures? All things, this is verse 5, all things according to what? The pattern shown to you in the mouth. The, the word pattern means prototype. It describes, if you will, the blueprint. The Old Testament is the prototype, the shadow, the blueprint of the, Old, of the New Testament. This is important. A lot of people think that there's a divide between the Old and the New. That is fallacy. Paul said, I have not shunned to give you the whole counsel of God. That's the full scripture from one end to the other. One serves as a GPS that leads to the other. The New Testament is concealed in the Old. You understand? The New is revealed in the, the Old is revealed in the New. They're one book, Old Covenant, New Covenant. One serves as the letter, the other one is the spirit of it. And so Galatians 3.24 says, the law, that's the Old Testament, it is the schoolmaster which brings us to Christ. So when you want to learn something, you go to the school. It acts as the map that leads us to Christ's and God's culture. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, All things that happened unto them, that's the children of Israel, are for our example and were written for our admonition, instruction. Jesus said, Hebrews 10, 7, I come in the volume of the book, all of it. You all see this? It is written of me. And then he said in Matthew 5, 17, I am not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. We all clear? And so if I want to learn something, I go to the Old Testament and see it revealed in the New. I don't have to read about it in the New if the culture is already established in the Old. And so one of the things that drives me a little bit nutty is when I hear uneducated, ignorant believers say that the tithe, I'm only using this as an example, we're not taking up an offering, but when they say the tithe is not in the New Testament, that tells me how ignorant they are of culture. Boy, that didn't sound very good. Say culture. And so, uh, you know, when you teach your children and you raise them in the way they should go, hopefully you don't have to do it again when they're 40. They should know. You will see things that are insinuated, related to things that are mentioned that you know they're actually speaking of that particular culture, but it doesn't have to be spelled out every time because it's already culture. I don't have to raise my children anymore. Now they raise their own children. And I watch and I love it and smile when their children are giving them a hard time and I remind them, thou shall reap what thou hast sown. And so... I don't get upset about it because it's their problem now. So, um, the, the kingdom of God is such. I need to make this clear. Help me, Jesus. The kingdom of God is invisible. It does not come by observation. Okay, stay with me now. So, for example, to make it practical, if you think of a seed that's planted in the ground, 
What happens if you put it in soil according to order? Not in alcohol, but in soil. What happens after a while? You put the seed in the soil, you water it. What happens? Why do you know that? That's the order. You, you. What happens from the time you sow to the time that there's a sprout? What it takes place? Can you see it? It's kingdom. As an example. A husband and wife are intimate and the woman becomes impregnated. What's behind the seed is the kingdom. When you look, there's no cameras in your eyeballs. It's connected to your brain. There's an invisible power that causes you to see. The blood you have going through your veins is no good if you're dead. It's only good. You cannot have a blood transfusion from a dead person. Why? Why? Say that again. There's no life in it. Where does the life in the blood come from? Spirit. Say that. Come on, say that. <laughs> Spirit. Your brain. Have you ever seen your brain? But you know it works? Yes? No? What keeps your heartbeat going in rhythm? All doctors can do is listen to see if the spirit in you is working. It's all kingdom. Kingdom is not a location. It doesn't come by observation. It's a power. And the whole power behind it is called the Spirit of God. I get a haircut, it grows back. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Cut your nails, there they come again. What is it? There's a power that God has ordered for everything to reproduce after its own kind. So within the seed that makes an apple will not produce anything else but an apple because the Word is in it. Now scientists may not be able to tell you why. They can just tell you how. This is what this will do. But the why is that there's an invisible force and that power is called the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God can only operate within the domain of His kingdom. The connecting link between the kingdom power and your flesh is the conduit called faith. And without it, you can't please God. The word please is to gratify. It's actually, and I know we might have young people here, but I'm going to be careful. It's, it's not please as in makes him happy. It's please like you've satisfied him. Like in a marriage. It's gratified him. Why? Because your body will not respond as well to medicine as it will to faith. I'm not telling you not to take your medicine. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Nothing can heal you better than faith can. Now I've seen people get completely healed of cancer. Totally healed. 
And I've also seen them go through where they receive a healing through, you know, radiation, chemotherapy, operations. And it's a grueling journey they get on. And they end up being without the cancer. And God still works within that. But it's just nice when they go back to the doctor and the doctor said, we don't know what happened. They take another x-ray and we see this happen more than once and we can't find it. What is that? Faith. It's a tangible power. So if I was to ask you, what is electricity? Talk to me. What is it? What is, how do you know it's power? How do you know electricity is power? What? Plug in. <laughs> because I knew there was going to be someone's going to say that. So what is that you plug it into? Say, come on, because that's where I want to go. An outlet. You know, dial is not the power. That's not electricity. Just a conduit. Faith is the conduit to the power. Clear? The more that's clear to you, the less you will live on earth. And live more out of your position in the heavens, ruling in the earth. And so when the word of God says, the tabernacle that Moses pitched is a shadow. It is an example and so if you shine a light on something, and like you see my shadow, can you see my, where's my shadow? Oh, there you are. It's because there's a light that comes and casts a shadow. Listen to me carefully. Everything you see in this material world is a shadow. That's not reality. It's a shadow. It's a temporal. It easily changes. Natural conditions, mindsets, behaviors, all the things that people deal with, if they can just plug into the reality of the power, the shadow can change. Are we clear? Say something. All right. And so God builds a shadow of a heavenly reality. So if you would put up di diagram one up on the screen, this is A. Pay close attention to it. Can you all see that? Really? I can't see it. But apparently you have it on your phones. Yes? I want you to notice this is how God told Moses to establish the camp. You will notice that there's the tabernacle, which is the center box. And then you will see the 12 tribes that are positioned around the camp. You all see that? Can you see it? Talk to me on your phones. Okay, because if you're not talking back, I don't know if I'm just talking to myself. So I need you to respond. Can you see it? If you pay close attention, you'll notice that the tabernacle itself has the furnishings. That's the centerpiece. And you will see that they're aligned in the shape of a cross. You'll also see that the tabernacle, not only is it aligned in, in a shape of a cross by its furnishings, but the way that God placed the tribes, 12 of them, are also set in a cross. You all see that? The cross within a cross 
formed by the placement of the tabernacle's furniture and the placement of the 12 tribes. 12 speak of government and kingdom order. That's the 12 tribes. Tonight we're just going to go to a little bit of a college class so you could understand. And you will notice that it's a cross within a cross. And this is a picture of the kingdom of, of, of heaven on earth. Christ in a people. The cross within a cross. And it serves as the shadow of heavenly things. Hebrews 8.5. Is that clear? Each tribe led by their family name. One day when my son will let me, I'd like to teach that. Because they didn't just randomly gather and go together and hang out with each other. They had to stay within their aligned assignment. And each one had their assignment and each one had their family. And so when you consider Judah, in, in any procession, Judah was the first to go out and they were the first to blow their trumpets. They were one of the larger tribes, 74,600. They would move out with their trumpets of praise and God would then bring about the order. Issachar, for example, they were known to know the times and the seasons and they were able to give instruction to the children of Israel. Every one of these tribes had their assignment and they knew we move after they do. The body of Christ there as a shadow didn't just function because they're led. <laughs> Nobody just felt led and everybody just wanted to do their thing. There was an order. And I want you to notice that where their place is in the wilderness, it speaks of that they were protected in the desert. The church which is protected from the elements, the evils of this world, built upon Christ the rock, and listen, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. When it's in this order. Are we all doing okay? Anybody learning anything so far? So you see the cross within the cross. That is the shadow speaking of Christ within a people. It is the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Proverbs chapter 22. I need you to go there now. Proverbs chapter 22. I normally like to have my regular mic where I don't have to hold this one and try to put on my glasses so I could see. Um, Proverbs 22. Tell me when you're there. Now, this is important, so I'm going to just slow down a little because I need you to, I, listen, I, um, I wanted to make this as simple, and I don't mean that because you're simple people. I just want to make sure that uh, no one can leave here without understanding what it is that God wants to say to you tonight because I'm, I'm believing that God's going to set an order where from here you'll be able to be established because there's things we got to get rid of. And I don't mean you necessarily. Well, unless it fits you, then we got to get rid of that too. Is that okay? Proverbs chapter 22. Now, if you see from verse 17, 
The word of God comes and says, bow down your ear, hear the words of the wisdom, apply your heart to your knowledge, to my knowledge, God says. It is a pleasant thing, a good thing, verse 18. If you keep them with you, within you, they shall be fitted to your lips. Talk that way. Listen now, verse 19. That thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to you this day, even to you. I've made it specially known to you. Verse 20. Have I not written to you excellent things in counsel and knowledge? Somebody say excellent. Verse 21. That I might make you know the certainty of the words of truth. This is crucial. That you might know the certainty, say certainty, of the words of truth. Now, so let me just say this real quickly. Um, how do you know what truth is? Truth is a person. His name is Jesus I'm going to give you a quick picture on how people make conclusions within their minds. Because whatever rules between your ears will rule your life. As a man thinks in his heart, mind, so is he. Your connection to God is between your, listen now, between your heart and God. Your heart is not here. This is not the heart. That's the natural heart. But when the word says heart, it means here. Point out your heart. Jesus comes to your heart is here. Crucified in a place called Golgotha. The place of the skull. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Paul said. So you can put on the new man. Therefore, where your mind is connects you to reality. Or what will be reality to you, not truth. Is that clear? And so the way it begins to learn is what is called a Precept. A precept, a sept is a thought. Pre is before it became a thought. What you're raised with, before you knew you believed it, you knew that you believed it. Precept. A thought before it's actually a thought in your mind. A precept becomes a, a concept, which means a collection of thoughts that draw a picture. And you go from a precept, what's that basement, if you will, that, that caused the root of what you believe, to become a concept, a picture. From a concept, you develop an ideology. From an ideology, you develop, listen now, you develop a philosophy. A philosophy is philo, which means love. Sophy is wisdom. So you start to fall in love with what you think. Philosophy. Once you have a philosophy, then everything comes channeled through that philosophy, your theology. Theology is what you understand about God. It will come through the channel of your philosophy. Whatever your philosophy is, you will see and hear everything through that, if you will, lens of your philosophy. So let me give you a, a great example. I hope you can hear it. If you're not ready for it, God have mercy on your soul. But let me give you the example of what Jesus, how Jesus thought the philosophy. The philosophy of Jesus was that he came to establish his kingdom in the earth. Okay, we're clear? He didn't come to die or be raised from the dead. He didn't come to save you. Those were results. Luke 4.43 will tell you why he came. He came to establish his kingdom. The outcome of the kingdom coming is that he died, saved us, healed us, delivered us, raised from the dead, and reconciled us. Say hallelujah or something. What he was after is to bring the kingdom of God out of heaven 
into the earth. That's always been the plan of God. God took out of the spirit of the invisible. In Genesis 1, the unseen, undiscernible God wanted to be visible, experienced, and so he became a man. His own image, exact likeness. And so the man can experience God. And they become a replica of each other. One natural, one spirit. One represents the unseen world. The other one manifests it into the, into the natural world. And so when you understand it's always been the plan to bring God's kingdom into the earth. So God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Going into all the nations, going to all the world. Tell them the good, it's good news. Good news, say it. It's what? It's good news. So to bring you to him that overcomes, to develop you, to make you an army, to be his body in the earth. To, to, to build you up, equip you. He gives you fivefold ministry to strengthen you. And then rapture comes. It doesn't fit the philosophy. It doesn't flow through the thinking of the why he came. So when God wants to develop a great army in the earth, evacuation is contrary to that philosophy. So if you don't know the philosophy of God, you're going to believe something and you're going to wait for something that disarms you from your purpose. Help me. So now you got to go back and find out what does the scripture then teach? What does it mean to be caught up with the Lord? Because it can't be evacuation. Because that is completely contrary to the system of the kingdom. Is that clear? And I'm not going into the rapture thing. I'm just saying it. It's like one of the most demonic things that have ever happened in the body. Why? Because, because it has disarmed the people of God. The creation travailing, waiting. for Listen, creation, all of it. Travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the, come on out loud, of the sons of God, male and female. So what you got is you got the church waiting to fly away. You got a creation travailing, waiting for the sons. And everybody's waiting. And God is saying, would someone please, for the love of God, wake up the truth. I chose you before the foundation. Sent you to establish my kingdom. I loved you before you loved me. I drew you before you came to me. I gave you my life when you didn't deserve it. I've always had a plan for you. She'd be happy something. So God comes and he says, have I not spoken to you, listen, in excellent things. Say it one more time, excellent. Write this down. The word excellent means threefold measure. If you look up the word excellent. Threefold things. The word excellent in the Hebrew tongue is the word shalosh. Say that. Now in Arabic, Aramaic, it's talate, triple. Hebrew, shalosh. Shalosh means threefold measure, a triple thing. The Bible is matted in threes. It is the pattern of spiritual truth. It is layered in matted in threes. God takes you from one to the other. So notice in the second diagram, if you want to leave, put the second one up, please. Diagram B and leave it up. If you'll notice that there are three dimensions 
that God shows in the shadow on the earth. And if you, can you all see it okay? And if you'll notice that there is the outer court, one dimension, holy place, most holy place. These speak of encounters in God. These all are the three dimensions, outer court, holy place, most holy place. You will see on the east side, the gate. There's only one gate. You see that? To the far left. You can't really see it on that. Can you see it on your phones? There's a gate. How many gates? There's one gate. The gate is Christ the way. There's no other gate. No back gate. There is no other way to get in. Jesus is the only door. He is the only way. You will also, uh, you, I can't give you this now, but it actually was built in a design where the gate is on the east side and on the other end where the most holy is, is the west side. And he said, the coming of the Son of Man shall be like the rising from the east and the descending onto the west. He is the picture. You all see this? So one way, only way, I am the way, that's the gate. Christ, the way. You move to the brazen altar, that's the cross, Christ, the sacrifice. You all see that? So the sacrifice was made. This is a picture. And then you come to the laver, Christ, the sanctifier. You're washed by the blood of the Lamb. And now you come to the holy place. The holy place now takes you from one dimension into the other. I'm going to just stop for a quick second. The outer the outer court speaks of salvation. That's where you come to meet Jesus. Jesus, the sacrifice. Again, the gate. And then we'll come to the door, which I'll get to in a minute. But we speak of salvation. Then you come to the door, and that is the place of baptism. And then you go beyond the veil, and that is kingdom rule. That's why it is Jesus Christ the Lord. Is this clear? Am I going too fast? So you will see Jesus the Holy Spirit, and the Father. And it's also experienced in three Passovers. Passover, Jesus, our Passover. Pentecost, where you receive in the holy place. I'm going to get into this in a moment. And then finally, tabernacles. Here's what happens. Once you've come through the outer court and you've accepted Christ and you've been washed and now you are a newborn creation and you come to the door, you've only entered the second dimension, or what is called in Scripture, the second day. And so I'm going to quickly go through this. Jesus Christ, the Lord, and when people receive what the holy place offers them, they think they've arrived into power. Healing. If you walk into the holy place, follow me now, just look at me. When you walk into the holy place, as soon as you walk in on your left, is a golden candlestick. On the right, there's a table of showbread. And right in front of you is the table of worship. And behind it is a thick veil. As soon as you walk in, there is a candlestick that's made of seven stems. The center stem speaks of Christ that feeds the other six stems. And it's describing the church. It is the work of the Spirit within the church. Seven-stemmed candlestick. You all doing all right? As long as you remain connected to the center stem, which is Jesus, then the oil continues to be filled. Follow carefully. 
it, it sheds light. It's not glory light. It's just candlestick light. So if you ever have seen a, a room lit by candlestick, it's not exactly bright. It's flickers. You have some shadows you, you will see, but not exactly very clear. And so it casts its light within the holy place. And you look at the table of showbread. The table of showbread had 12 loaves of round bread on top of the table. How many, how many loaves? 12. These 12 loaves. Now, you know, historians will tell you they represent uh, the tribes of Israel. That's true. The body of Christ. That's true. But it actually, 12 always represents kingdom order. That means that the word of God has to declare the kingdom of God. You all doing okay? And it's called showbread. What is it called? Why show? Because you're supposed to show the bread. Show the life. Come on, help me a little. You're very quiet. Does that mean you're really listening? Or I'm just lost you. Show the bread means that now you are no longer, you live the word. It's not something you just preach. It's something that you live. God wants you to expose it, reveal it, live it. It's called show the bread. Christ, the living bread. Now, the door, Christ, I am the door, he said, to the holy place. And once you come in, you see the work of the church and the movement of the Spirit in the candlestick. We'll hear more about that in a moment. The showbread, 12 loaves, the gospel of the kingdom to be lived out in your life. And then you come to this altar of incense where there's worship. Might want to write this down. Flesh destroyed by worship. Because that's what that next veil is. It's the flesh that has to be removed. Flesh speaks of the veil. Christ, the access that brings us to the place where the veil must be rent. You all seen this? Each one of these is an encounter. Each one of these pieces of furniture, and I'm just giving you an overview, are actual experiences in God, growth from glory to glory. Once the veil is rent, which means you lost all desire to satisfy your natural life. You want to live for Christ. Anybody here? Once that is achieved, you come in behind and there's only one piece of furniture. And this piece of furniture is called the Ark of the Covenant. It's a piece of wood made out of very hard wood overlaid with pure gold inside and out. It's Christ in a body. In that box is the law fulfilled. You with me? Bowl of manna and the rod that budded, the rod of Aaron. And what it speaks of is the law, which is the way, the manna, which is the truth, and the rod, which is the life. I am the way, come on, the truth and the life. So Jesus is the tabernacle. That is the pattern. It must be built according to order. He said, the volume of the book is written of me in Hebrews 10. Now when you come into this most holy place, all you encounter is the glory. The glory of God changes things. 
It cannot be carried individually. It must be carried by a people. Christ, the fullness of the Godhead, bodily, Colossians 2 verse 9. So it's describing that which is divine. So let me tell you what God sees when he looks at you. God does not, and now I'm, I'm going to say this carefully, um, so no one here is misinterprets what I'm saying and use it for your flesh. But how many of you understand that you are divine? <sighs> that sucked. I said, how many of you believe you are divine? How many believe Christ is in you? How many believe you've been forgiven of all your sin? How many of you are a new creation? You have been overlaid with pure gold. God does not only you see you. God has overlaid you with gold inside and out. And God said, I will meet you at the mercy seat. See, we always want to somehow do something great for God. And God says, I've already done everything great. You're done. Say done. You're finished. There's nothing else God needs to fix about you. There's nothing more God can do for you. He's already given you everything that you need for life and God-likeness. You already are, have received to be a partaker of the divine nature. The only thing that has, if you will, uh, not accepted it is what you believe about yourself. But as far as God's concerned, and I know this gets people all riled up, but you know, here is the bottom line, okay? Can I just give you the bottom line? If I don't give it, I'm going to be nagged tonight when I'm trying to sleep and the Lord's going to tell me, you didn't say it. Yeah, but Lord, my son was panicking. You didn't say it. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, God who is spirit, undiscernible, un unlocalized, unknown, omnipotent power, spirit, omnipresent, everywhere, all at once, all-knowing, Nobody knows nothing. Can't see him. Can't localize him. Can't identify him. What good is he? Who knows your God? If you're by yourself, who cares? Right? Talk to me. If God is alone and he's God, but nobody knows he's God but God. Okay. I mean, if God is by himself and no one knows that he's God and he is God, but there's no expression of the power. No outlet, no conduit. Nobody has a clue. He's all by himself, bored. Right? He's love, but there's nowhere to go with it. Can't express it. He's mercy, but there's nothing to have mercy on. He's grace, but there's no grace to extend because there's nobody around. So what good are you? Nobody knows you. Well, he's enough as him in himself. No, he's not. People say that. What Bible are you people reading? That's not what he said. God doesn't need anything. Really? What are you making for then? He's just got, you know what? I need something to break and fix. You know, everything is so perfect here in heaven. I need something to just mess life up. And you know what? While I'm at it, I'm going to get a devil here too. Just really make a mess of things. I'm going to get two naked people, put a serpent on a tree, and really watch what's going to happen. And hope to God it's going to all work out for the best. Right? And the two idiot naked people, when they hide themselves behind the fig tree, God, oh, now what? 
Now what am I going to do? Oh, I got to come up with plan B. Hey, Jesus, you want to go down there and fix it? I would have said, blank, blank, no. Is that what we believe? God made everything beautiful. And he looked around and he said, it's all good. No, it's very good. Now, grand finale. I want me revealed. Exactly. I don't know how to give away part of me. I can't just have a representation. How do you represent God? When you're not God. How can you measure up to that? So God said, I'm holy and you're not. But how are you going to experience my holiness? Because I can't make you into a robot. Because I'm not a robot. And I can't have you be in my image and my likeness unless it's your encounter. So I'm going to give you a choice. Obey or disobey. Simple. If you obey, it'll become your encounter. If you disobey, I'll just get another one. But somebody is going to obey me. And I'm going to give you knowledge. And this knowledge is a fruit. We call it a tree of knowledge. People think there's an actual tree. They've watched so many Disney movies. It's the fruit of knowledge. And I'm going to make knowledge, good and evil, same fruit. So once you partake of the good, you're going to know the evil. Because nothing can be expressed without the law of opposites. How will you know what is opposite if you don't know the other side? What is day if there's no night? What is grace if there is no sin? Help me. How many of you are, how many are grateful for the goodness of God? How many are grateful He's merciful? Come on, help me. How many of you are thankful? Why? Because you fell. So God wasn't surprised when man fell. We got to get, we got to get grown up, please. This is really not that big. I mean, it's not, it's just the beginning. But had man not fallen, he would have never learned God. And the image would have been incomplete. So what does God do? The lamb is slain from the foundation before man is ever made. Come on, help me. He solves the problem before there is a problem. Puts the whole thing into motion. And God wants to have a real relationship with an obedient man and a woman. Because what God wanted is God became a man that man may become as God. Ooh. So we don't like it. Okay, well, I didn't say it. He did. Let's make man. Come on, help me. So now you're going to start retreating on me. And then we're going to be here longer because i got to dig longer. And I'm going to get tired. And I'm old. So come on, make this quick. Let us make man after our, let's make them somewhat like us. Did he say that? No. Did he say, okay, I'm not going to make them exactly, but I'm going to give them some of Jesus. Of the fullness of him we receive. And so God wants man to experience God because that's his true state of being. Not so you can walk around saying, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. But so that way you can live God. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5, that he thought it not robbery, didn't steal something that belonged to him, to be equal, say, with God. Not equal to God, that's two gods, thou shalt have no other God before me. It is equal with God, because God wants you to experience the reality of your true being. Now, is that clear? It, it's not offensive? I know it rocks people's religions because, you know, they, they're so unworthy. But we're not talking about you. We actually want you to die and get out of the picture. We're talking about the God in you. Say something. And so it's gold. You don't see wood through there. There's no wood. The wood is overlaid, overlaid with pure, pure. Say it. P say pure. Pure, beaten, beaten gold. So God's going to beat it out of you. And when you beat gold, it shines. It comes like a mirror. And so God said, I'm going to meet you on the mercy seat in between the cherubims. Cherubims facing one another. The word cherubim means image. I'm going to meet you in the, between the image. Hello. And the image looks like this. The angels cried one unto the other. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. They saw it from its heavenly perspective. And what they looked is looked down on the mercy seat. What did they see? Help me. What did they see? Say that again. When they looked down on the beaten gold, they saw the reflection of each other. I can't see Jesus unless seemingly you. Can you see Jesus in me? Thank you, James. Can anybody else see Jesus in me? How can you see him? There's only one way. By the Jesus that's in you. God did not want, follow this now. Don't let this rock you too much, okay, please. This is really foundation gospel. God did not want for you to worship a past tense Jesus. And so after the resurrection, nobody recognized him. Come on. Come with me. Come on, nobody. I mean, Mary Magdalene thought he was the gardener. His disciples, he's right there in the middle, the middle of the room. Nobody knows he's there. He's telling Thomas, go ahead, touch me. It's me. Look, idiot. It's me. That's what I would have said. Jesus didn't say that. I said that. So he shows us the way to come into the glory and become part of the grand finale. That's why if you got saved, you're a child. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you've reached adolescent. You don't know everything yet. You think you do because you just got a driver's license. But you're quite, uh, okay. You don't know anything. You think you know everything. Okay? There comes a point where God is not done with you until the veil over your life is rent. He rips your ambitions. Takes away your fallen state and identity. And forces you to accept what he's done for you. Even though you'll say, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not talking about you. I want you to die. Rip the veil. Or you can't see the glory. 
Once the veil is ripped, you look in the mirror and you see the glory of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a hope. But once the veil is rent, it's no longer a hope. It's the demonstration of God's glory. When people say God's about to do great things. No, God wants to kill people first. Rip the veil first. And it's not about when it's going to happen. It's when are people ready for it to happen. And once the veil is rent, Christ the veil, you come into it through worship and worship kills the flesh. You begin to offer unto God true worship. And in that experience, he fulfills the law. He brings you manna from heaven, truth, and the power of authority in the rod, the life. And from that point forward, you begin to see the coming of the Son of Man as the signing up of the Son from the east and descending even onto the west. The west is God's glory. We're coming into glory. I said we're coming into glory. Don't confuse the candlestick for the glory. Because in the glory, God causes people to become so in tune and so sensitive to the operation and purpose of His Spirit that He doesn't have to deal anymore with getting them out of the way. Follow carefully. Now I want to just, I want to, I want to kind of begin to bring it down to where we're going to close, but I need you to listen very carefully. The modern church system today is built after the pattern of synagogue, not the tabernacle. Follow carefully. The modern church system, not talking about the church of Jesus, but the modern church system that man has created is not built after the tabernacle pattern, but after the pattern of synagogue. It is used in a, listen now, it is using, I'm talking about the church system today, it is using an old system with a new borrowed name called church. But it's not the church. It's not and was never a bad thing, but it was just not the church. Synagogues were religious institution that begun after the Israelites returned from Babylonian captivity. You'll see this in number 8. And Ezra the priest began them in local neighborhoods so that the people will keep the culture of the law and prayer. For centuries before Jesus Christ came, they would gather in every town around Jerusalem on the Sabbath in every village and city to preserve their custom. When Jesus came, the Bible says he went and preached into their synagogues. It never says he preached in his synagogue. He preached in their synagogues. So while synagogues were functioning Listen now, all over the nation, Jesus came to build his church. The modern church today, I'm talking about the system of the church, functions exactly like the old synagogues with the New Testament te terminology. They may use New Testament terminologies, but the system is after the old synagogue pattern. Having weekly services to maintain spiritual relevance, but without kingdom authority. Synagogues did not provide pr protection or function as the kingdom of heaven on the earth. They were simply keeping people maintained. The church is defined in scripture as the body of Jesus Christ in the earth. And is established on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20. Anybody hearing me? The system today thinks an apostle is a title 
and they have no idea who they are or what they do. The pastor is the only office recognized, and yet there is no such terminology in all Scripture as the pastor. When the term pastor is used in Scripture, it is always plural. The only time it's used singular is when it's describing the shepherd of our soul, Jesus Christ, our great shepherd. That's the only time it's singular. Every other time, it is plural. And God came and gave some pastors. So the system today wants the pastor to be everything. Mommy, daddy, burial, weddings, counselor, home groups. I mean professor, teacher, old heart attack. Because the dysfunction of it is they put it all on one man. And in, in many cases, they're hired and fired. It has nothing to do with the system of the kingdom. I lost everything because I learned this. Because I was in the system. Now follow. God establishes, and you know, I'm not teaching on this today. Apostles and prophets as the foundation. Jesus being the chief cornerstone. When we understand the function of pastoring, we'll begin to function in the order God established in the tabernacle. So the first thing, listen now. The first thing that John, now how many remember... Um, I mean, if you want to read it with me, you can. But if you go to the book of Revelation, read it on your own time. John comes in a vision. And you got to hear this very carefully now. And John is caught up into the Spirit on the day of the Lord when God is about to manifest. In Revelation 1. Listen carefully now. John is, he, he's caught up into the Spirit on the day of the Lord. And he hears a voice. A what? In Revelation 1.10, he said, I was in the spirit of the Lord on the day, the day of the Lord. And behind me I heard a great voice as of a trumpet. And then he says in verses 12 and 13, And I turned to see the voice. I did what? He didn't want to hear it anymore. That wasn't enough. He wanted to see it. I turned to see the voice and being turned I saw the seven golden candlesticks in the midst. Follow this now. I saw the seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Not the Son of Man, but one like unto the Son of Man. Y'all get that? So there are six stems and one central stem, as I told you, as the source of the oil that lit the whole holy place. It speaks of Christ and his body, the church. John turns to see the voice, and being turned, he did not see one person sitting on a golden throne. That's not what he saw. What he saw was the golden candlesticks, and in the midst, he sees the church. He saw the golden candlestick. He sees the church and one in the midst of the church, one like unto the Son of Man, speaking of the sons of God, and that's where the voice he saw was. And it's written that it's within you. The voice of God is within. So the word was not out there somewhere. The voice of the Son of God is in the midst of the church. It's in Christ in you. Y'all with me? So if you want to see the voice, how many of you want to see the voice? 
Now, now uh, let me just... Um, How many want to see what we've been hearing? Talk to me. How many want to see the manifestation of what we've been promised? We want to see God demonstrate what we have believed for so long. Say yes. Um, when, when I began to um, pastor, I went to God out of desperation. And so he would point me to Scripture because I couldn't do this anymore. The work of ministry, if you do it according to a synagogue pattern. In fact, the synagogue pattern was so loose that they didn't really have a pastor. They had a priest that took care of the operation of the synagogue. But anyone that had the word can get up and read the scroll. Because they would read it according to pattern. And so if you were going to come up on a particular Sabbath and it happened to be the reading of the book of Isaiah... Jesus would get up in the middle of the, the Sabbath and he would stand up in the synagogue and he would open to that which has been a predetermined scripture and he would open the scroll and he would say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me, help me. He was actually reading the prophetic from on the day of the Sabbath and then he closes the book and makes a statement. What has been a prophecy today is fulfilled in your ears and sits down. From that day forward, he was shutting down the synagogues. So I go to God, how do I keep up with the burden of church, people's lives? How do I go to sleep at night when I know things going on in their marriage or with their children or their young people that don't want their parents to find out? How do I carry this stuff? And so God would lead me to Moses. And Moses said to God in the book of Numbers, he said, if you're going to call me to do this, I want you to kill me first. <laughs> Just read it. So what does God do with Moses in the book of Numbers? He says, I want you to go find 70 elders. 70. How many? 70. And I want you to know that these are you, the elders you chose, that you know them to be elders. And I'm going to come down. I'm going to talk to you there. I'm not going to talk to all of them. I'm going to talk to you. Right there with them. But I'm going to talk to you. And then I'm going to take your spirit and I'm going to put it on them. So now they're going to carry your burden and have your vision. And now you're going to go from being one Moses to 70 of you. You're going to be exactly the same. They're going to carry your burden. When Moses was done with his journey, he went to the Lord. He says, you are the God that sees the hearts of all men. Choose a man. And God says, go to Joshua. Listen, a man in whom is thy spirit. He's got your spirit. Get him in front of the congregation. Bring up the priest and ordain him. And you give him charge before the people because he carries your spirit. And so I began to realize what I need to do is not build a congregation. i got to find people that I can give my spirit to. 32 years later, they're still with me. How do we do? How is that? And from that point forward, we begin to function according to the order of the word. Where, listen, we don't rule people. We just watch over them. They're God's people. Say something. Now, I don't know how it is today, but when I was growing up, everybody had a prophecy. And everybody wanted to be a pastor. And church growth took place out of church splits. People leave one place, go to another. People needed all of whatever recognition for their own gifting they would use others to get their way. All the ambitions of personal ministry 
was rampant. I don't know if it's going on today. I pray not. But it was going on in my day. And so God says, here's how I'm going to bring out the voice. So you can see the voice. See what you've been believing. See the power that you have prophesied. I want to finally see what I've been preaching. Say something. John turns to see the voice. And when he turns, he doesn't see a man standing there. He sees seven golden candlesticks, sees the church, and one in the midst of the church who is like unto the Son of God, the Son of Man, the sons of God. And from that point forward, the Word of God is clear. If you're going to see the voice, it's going to come from the midst of the church. That's where the voice is. It's in the Christ in you. Say something. It's in the midst of the church. So if you want to see the voice, you have to see the true church first. I want to say that one more time. If you want to see the voice, you have to see the true church first. Is this clear? I want my brother to come to the keyboard just quickly. I want to listen carefully. It is necessary to see the church before you can see him who is in the midst of her. This is why we're going to do this right. You cannot come to my house to speak to me. As an example, you cannot come to my house to speak to me and not see my house. So many Christians want to see the voice without seeing the house. I left the old system a long time ago. And when I found the body, I fell in love with the church. To be separated from the body is to be severed from the head of the body. I love the church because the Lord himself so loved the church that he gave himself to her. And to present it to himself as a glorious church having no spot, no wrinkle, Ephesians 5.27. You cannot see the voice without seeing the house. I hope this creates questions. No? Yes? Where's my brother to the keep? Oh, that, wow. How, you know, soft. I pray to God it creates questions in you because that's how you'll search. That's what I had to do. And you look to the pattern of Scripture because you will find that Jesus comes and sets the order and of His fullness, listen, He didn't wait for some scheming lawyers, scribes, and Pharisees to distribute His will. He dies. And normally when you die, you leave your will. So He rises from the dead and administrates His own will. And of Himself He gives unto men gifts. And unto some he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So the body can become equipped. So now today's church, synagogue style, think that these are somehow titles of entitlement, rulership, control. These are functions. These are functions, not their job descriptions. And God puts them in the church to equip the church. Until the church comes into the perfect order after the order of Melchizedek. And he establishes the order of Melchizedek by setting the the order of apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Follow this carefully. Until we come 
to a completed man, a whole, completed, perfect man. And then these functions don't, are no longer necessary. And from that point forward, you don't need a man to teach you about God because all will know him. Say hallelujah or something. So this job we have, um, it's not Supreme Court. You don't die there. When you're done, it's over. And our job is to bring people to the fullness of Christ. And unless people have an understanding, follow this carefully, and the value of what we have, because everything in the world has advanced. Technology has advanced. Medicine has advanced. The economy has advanced. Children today understand how to work within their phones and iPads and devices. And I can, listen, I need my grandchildren to show me how to do it. Their brains have so far more advanced. Everything in the world has advanced. The only thing that has digressed in power is the church. It has grown in number. It's got more money. It's got bigger buildings. It's become a nonprofit institution, but it has no power. It can't influence the governments. It can't even stop the laws from letting men marry men and babies being killed. It has no power. It is simply a religious institution to keep people maintained spiritually until Jesus comes and takes them all away. And sometimes I hope, you know, I wish that was true so they could all leave. Because I'm looking for a generation that's going to change this world. We're looking for a people that understand the order of the kingdom and who is in them. Because what we've had, follow this carefully, what we've had is we've, we've got a, a, a um, we got a good system just functioning in the wrong method. The vision is good. We see the ark. We want to make sure that the, we know the presence is in the ark. We want to follow the ark of God. That's Christ and his body. But it's got to be carried right. And so if the method is wrong and they think they can do it through internet, they're mistaken. It's not going to happen on, on oxen, on carts, satellite type. It's going to be carried on the shoulders of priests. Help me a little. And therefore, we have to get the vision correct. And we, what we eventually must do is come into an understanding. Follow this carefully. The vision is right, but the method has been wrong. we got to make the method right. There's nothing wrong with the Ark of the Covenant. There's nothing wrong with the vision. There's nothing wrong with the seraphims or the mercy seat. Nothing wrong with the glory, but the way it was carried was wrong. You got to carry it right. And the only way we're going to carry it is we have to carry it as one body. And if you're going to hear the voice that's within that body, you got to see the house. And without the house, you can't see the voice. You can hear it. You can go to all kinds of seminars. But if you want to see it, you got to get into the right house. Go to the book of Isaiah. And I'm, anybody learning anything? Isaiah chapter 4. Here's how the prophet prophesize what God's going to do at the conclusion of our journey. Isaiah chapter 4, let me know when you're there. Verse 1, and in that day 
Seven women shall get a hold of one man. Seven women speak of the system of the church. One man speaks of the sons of God. Saying, we will eat our own bread, wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name. Let us marry you so we can take away our reproach. In that day shall the branch, the what? The what? I am divine, you are the branches. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. That's the body. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent. Those that remain in Zion, those that overcome, in other words, shall be called holy. Verse 5, And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place that's your family your natural family the Lord will create upon every family dwelling place in Mount Zion and upon her assembly spiritual family a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night for upon all the glory shall be a defense upon all the glory all over the glory that will be your defense so upon every family your families and upon your spiritual house, there's going to be a cloud by day, a shining flame by night, and all the glory of God will be your defense. You should say something right there. Verse 6, And there shall be a tabernacle for all, for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and of a covert covering from the storm and from rain. There's something that I've been telling people over and over throughout these times of elections. Whatever happens in this world, it will not affect me or my family or my spiritual family. Come on, I want to say that one more time. Whatever happens, whatever laws they try to bring, whatever wicked evils they try to pass on to society, I'm here to tell you, it's not going to affect me, my children, or my natural or spiritual children. Say yes. Why? Because the glory of God is our defense. In fact, during the time of COVID, I prospered more than I did before COVID. I'm not, listen, the reality, now I'm not suggesting because I, I have been praying that God would cause our natural government to implode. You don't have to agree with it. It's my prayer. Between me and God, I want God to disassemble. Maybe somebody will agree. See, you're, you're all afraid to be politically incorrect. I don't really care anymore. I want righteousness in the land. I want our children to pray in schools. I want God to bring back, let us make man and a woman and let them multiply. Come on, help me a little. God never, and I'm not, listen, I'm not, I don't hate anybody. But he called them Adam and Eve. Right? Can I go to more? Like I've heard it said. I, he never said call them Adam and Steve. He said Adam and Eve. That's what I heard. Okay? So, um, and, and you know, as, as, as much as it's politically incorrect, they're trying to cancel out anything that is righteous. God's going to cancel them out. And so he that sits in heaven shall laugh. 
So I'm here to tell you, we do this right. It is a defense, a protection to your family, to your children, to your grandchildren, and to the assembly of God in the house of God. So as long as you remain under the covering what God has established, no hell on earth can touch your family. The, the tabernacle was in the wilderness and it was protected from the elements. And these people that God had to teach them His way, all the enemies around them tried to shut them down and all God did is increase them and cause them to possess their land. So I'm here to tell you, I don't care what Joe Biden does, what Senate does, what the liberals do, I'm going to tell you what God's going to do. Every time they strategize against God's anointed, the book of Psalms says, He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. God laughs at their tactics because God's order is, I'm going to fill this earth with my glory. Say yes. So when, when Moses was telling God, I can't take these people, God said to Moses, let me kill them. Let me just get rid of these people and let me make a, a great nation out of you. And Moses said, no, then they're going to say, you brought us out here and you couldn't take us through and you killed us in the wilderness because you couldn't make it work. So don't do that. So Moses, God says to Moses, okay, okay, Moses, have your way. But, but I promise you, Moses, I promise you, as I live, says the Lord, as I live, I will fill this earth with my glory. I said, I will fill this earth with my glory. People think I like to get into politics. No, I want to teach the kingdom of God. Wow, you're looking so happy. Can Christians get out of being political? Can we talk righteousness? Can we talk holiness? Can we talk Jesus? Because here's the reality. If I'm wrong and they're right, none of us would be here. Because it took your father and your mother or you wouldn't be here. So since you're here, Maybe we have something to say. The reality is, the system of evil is out to take away the identity. It's out to kill the next generation and remove all identity. If they can kill identity, they don't want to give you a gender anymore. There is no more identity. Everyone is, what, what is it? You're not a he. You're not a she, you're an it. You're uh. what is what are you? You can't say anymore because it's offensive. So you gotta get rid of identity and get rid of the children. Kill the children and kill the identity. Kill the children and kill the identity. If you can kill the children and kill the identity, we'll win because we will annihilate them. They've been trying to do that since the days of Nimrod. They gave children as a sacrifice. It's exactly what they're trying to do. And they're trying to destroy identity and destroy the children. Eliminate the future generations. That's what this is about. This is a holy war. It has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats. It's about identity. It's about the generations to come. When people are long gone, if we don't stand up for righteousness, then our children have to face it. And I think we need to change it now. I said, I believe we're going to change it now. So I want you to stand to your feet and I want us to pray.
Hey, thanks so much for joining today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. If you'd like more information about our church and the events we have going on throughout the week, or even for prayer requests, you can visit us at risennation.org for more information. Grace and peace to you today.